Medical experts define depression as a psychiatric disorder with symptoms such as an inability to concentrate, insomnia, loss of appetite, a lack of ability to feel pleasure, and feelings of extreme sadness, guilt, helplessness, and hopelessness. As a special needs parent, I have experienced many, if not all, of the symptoms of depression. Today, I want to share with you about my own journey, how I keep my head afloat, and how I continue to find a way out. Hey, I'm Michelle Hayes, special education teacher and parent of a child with multiple special needs. I'm here to share stories, strategies, inspiration, and hope to parents and caregivers of individuals with disabilities. Because when life requires us not to be normal, it becomes our opportunity to turn into something extraordinary. Welcome to the journey. A little disclaimer here, I am not a mental health professional. My thoughts and opinions simply cannot replace a doctor's advice. But there is power in relating and connecting with others walking through a similar path. I want to be very real and vulnerable with you because there is power in telling the story. Now listen, our children are important. This is obvious. That's why you're here. That's why we're talking. But there is another person that often gets overlooked. It's you. You are a very important person and you are not forgotten. Today, let's talk about you and let's not belittle your process. Let's put a name on some of the feelings and experiences that you are having. You know, by naming an emotion, it helps you deal with it better. So let's get real. Let's talk about the ugly hard truth that we face in private. Let's talk about three very difficult mental states that many special needs parents find themselves experiencing and walking out, oftentimes alone. I'm talking about depression, grief, and even post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, it is not my intention here to minimize heroes who have fought in battle and experienced PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, I just want to explore how this also affects special needs parents. I also don't want to minimize those people who have actually grieved a death of a loved one. But I do want to shed some light on some of the experiences that we tend to overlook because Truthfully, we're so caught up raising our own special needs child that we don't stop and think about ourselves. I don't want to belittle the process that we are going through on a daily basis. We are in the battle every day. We question our choices every day. We are scared to make a mistake or to run out of strength all the time. So, I want to talk to you about some of the medical definitions of these diagnoses. Let's look at depression. Depression is defined as a psychiatric disorder, and it is characterized by an inability to concentrate. There is insomnia, loss of appetite, anhedonia, which is a lack of ability to feel pleasure, feelings of extreme sadness, guilt, helplessness, and hopelessness. 
and even thoughts of death. The medical definition of grief is a deep mental anguish, as that arising from bereavement. That's like a period of mourning after a loss. Now, post-traumatic stress disorder is a mental disorder, and is defined as a battle fatigue. It usually occurs after a traumatic event that happens outside of the range of usual human experiences, and is characterized by symptoms such as reliving an event, reduced involvements with others, and even manifestations of autonomic arousal, such as hyperalertness or exaggerated startle response. Now, these are big words just to say that people who are experiencing PTSD are having reactions that are disproportional to the situation oftentimes. Now, those are the medical definitions. Now, I want to go back and share with you uh, how I've experienced each one of these emotions and feelings and stages. Let's talk about grief. Now, when Katie was diagnosed, we traveled far away to another city to see a geneticist, and we got a diagnosis for her. The doctor told me, point blank, that my child had suffered extensive brain damage. He said that it might even be difficult for her to even learn how to walk. I was devastated. The news just blew me. I remember I was standing and I held on, to, I don't know if it was a desk or a like one of those little beds, but I held on because I was falling. Like I lost my sense of balance with fright. I really feel like I probably fainted. I don't know what fainting feels like, but I can tell you everything was spinning and I couldn't hold my body up. And I remember just going back, we were staying at a family's, uh, a family friend's home and, and they had a car shop. They had like an automotive shop and right outside of their shop was this big, beautiful, gigantic tree with a big, beautiful swing. And I remember sitting there with my one-year-old child who had just been diagnosed as a baby with brain damage, with incurred brain damage. And it had been told to me not to even get hopeful about seeing her take her first steps, that she might not even walk. And I'm holding my baby, my one-year-old. She's still a baby. She looks so fine to me. How could this be happening? And I remember sitting on that tree swing and just feeling just a mixture of all sorts of feelings like despair and numbness. And I, I had her in my lap and tears were rolling down my face, but I was not crying. Just there was this never ending stream of tears and people would walk by me and they didn't know what to say. They didn't know how to act. They would smile or hug me. It was just, it was all a blur. I was holding my living child, feeling like I had lost her. It just was such a weird feeling. I was numb. It was this horribly deep mental anguish. Even retelling you the story makes me relive it all over again. It was just, have you ever seen a place where something really traumatic happened and every time you go back to that place, you're immediately traveling back in time and you're reminded of little details of that event. Well, that's what that tree swing is for me. That's where I sat and tried to process my child's diagnosis. Now, depression, depression is a little different 
because you have to keep moving forward. The initial grief doesn't really wear off, but it becomes something that you have to learn to deal with, something that you have to learn to live with. And so depression comes along and it starts to try to make a home. I remember just having this really deep feeling of just pain and grief and I just wanted to sleep my life away. I can't tell you how many times I would wake up thinking, please tell me this was a nightmare. Please tell me I'm waking up and everything was just a horrible, horrible nightmare. I just wanted to go to bed. I didn't want to wake up. I wanted to sit in the corner, withdraw, and just cry. I just wanted to be sucked up into a vacuum. I I didn't want to be anywhere. I just, nothing made it better. Sleeping, eating, trying to hang out with people, being awake, staying busy, nothing made it better. And that was my experience of depression. Well, one of the many. Then I also experienced post-traumatic stress. Katie had seizures. She developed epilepsy and she had seizures daily and she had seizures that lasted 15 minutes and these happened about six or eight times a day, day and night. And I was told that it was unclear to doctors whether the seizures were giving her more brain damage or if it was the brain damage that was giving her seizures. And I was horrified. Were they making more brain damage? It would happen so often too. And I couldn't make them stop. And they lasted about 15 minutes. I remember that every single movement that Katie had, every single, I learned how to listen to her breathe in her sleep so that I could tell when things were going on wrong. And I remember just being jumpy. Everything made me jumpy. I didn't want anyone coming near her and startling her. I didn't want anyone messing with her sleep cycle. I was just reacting all day long, all night long. I was watching nothing but Katie. Honestly, I still do. She's 14 years old. Katie is 14 years old today in 2020. And I have a video monitor. And I still listen to how she breathes. And if things change, I open my eyes and I check on that video monitor. I am constantly on the lookout. Now, whenever she had a seizure, which was super frequently, I remember just putting my hand on her chest. There was nothing I could do. Like, if your child is going to fall, you catch your child. If your child scrapes a knee, you pick up your baby and you put a Band-Aid on and you kiss them. But when your kid is having a seizure... You can just stand by and watch. That's all you can do. Stand by and watch and do whatever you can to keep them safe while it's going on. And all this time, I'm thinking, is she getting more brain damage? How much longer is a seizure going to take? How much more is it going to steal from her? But I didn't want her to know that I was afraid. So I would hold it together and I would smile. And while the seizure was going on, I would do everything I could to give eye contact to her and to tell her, you're okay, Katie. Everything's fine. Mommy's here. I got you. And I would hold it together and I would try to be very, very, very strong. Eventually the seizure would wear out and she would fall back asleep in her crib and I would collapse. I would collapse in a corner and weep and weep and weep. I would fall apart. I was obsessed. I still kind of am obsessed with fear of the next attack. That was my day. 
just watching for the next one. I didn't want to socialize or talk to people. I felt like we were in a constant state of attack preparedness. And so those are just some examples of how I've experienced some of those three key feelings, post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, and grief. Now, grief is strange for me because she's here. She's with me. But if you're a special needs parent, you will relate. You will understand. You grieve a little every day. You grieve for the loss of that vision of your child growing up and getting married or maybe getting a driver's license or walking, you know, saying mom, saying dad, drawing a picture, making a friend, these things that you just took for granted when you were pregnant with your baby or when you were a father expecting your child to come. You had this idea of your child growing up into a person that you pictured and all of it changed. So every day you grieve a little because your child is not reaching the milestones. Katie right now, she just finished middle school and she's going into high school. And I'm watching, and I'm watching other kids her age, you know, join sports and make friends and get on their phones. Katie likes to play Fisher-Price music and ride a little scooter around the floor on the house. It's like a scooter that you sit on. It's different. And I'm not going to lie. I grieve. I, I see what she is, and I can't help but have a hard time letting go of what I thought she would be at 14. So you grieve a little every day. But here's what I want to tell you. Listen, it's okay to feel. It's okay to cry. It's okay to take a moment and just crumble. But I want you to hear this very carefully. It is not okay to stay there. You have got to dust yourself off and move forward. You've got to do this for your child, for your family, for yourself, and who knows how many other people you are about to impact. The world is waiting on you. So take your time and cry. Take your time and crumble, but do not make it your home. That is not your home. And I know that's hard to do when your brain is numb. I know that's hard to do when you can't think, when you're not motivated to do anything, when nothing brings you pleasure, when you just want to withdraw and hide. So what do you do when you get in a rut and nothing inside you compels you to move? I want to give you some strategies. And if you could just follow them, if you could just follow them, not think them out, just act, okay? These are some of the things that I've done to keep moving forward. First, stay busy, okay? Mindless work. So depression can be like quicksand, and it can just start sinking you deeper and deeper, slowly, until it just drowns you out. So what you got to do is you've got to keep moving. Otherwise, you are going to sink. Letting depression swallow you is dangerous. It can result in extreme harm to yourself and to others. Don't overthink it. Just keep moving. Just stay busy. I'll give you an example. One time I was feeding Katie at the high chair. She was not responsive. She was acting aloof, gone, absent. And she just sat there. And 
I remember just feeling like I had poured myself so much into getting a reaction, a little bit of eye contact. And I remember that I felt depressed. She just wanted to sit there and stare at nothingness, not move, not do anything. So I remember that I allowed myself to just sit and sink down to the floor and sit in the corner and cry. And that's where I wanted to stay all day. But something deep inside me said, no, stop, get up. You cannot allow this to happen. And I was like, well, what do I do? Okay, there's dirty dishes. Go wash those dishes. Okay, take Katie out of her high chair. Let's move her over and get her to play. Okay, what's next? Well, let's change her clothes. They're a little bit dirty. Okay, what's next? Let's sweep over here. Okay, what's next? Let's wash some laundry. Busy, just stay busy. Because if you stay busy and you keep moving, you keep active and it keeps you from feeling stagnant. If nothing else, it serves as the simplest form of distraction. Stay busy. Another strategy is work with what you have. You know, accept that your life is this life and that it can be beautiful because you can make it beautiful. You've got to make up your mind that you're traveling a journey that you didn't plan, but that does not make it a bad journey. That does not make it a despairing situation. You can make it beautiful. You are resilient. You are strong. You are capable of doing amazing things. Right now, sitting here, wherever you are, listening, think of all the things that you have overcome. Think how far you've come. That's your resiliency. That's your strength. You're amazing. You're capable of doing amazing things. And oftentimes, If you think back to previous experiences, it's when you think that you can't do something, when you say, I just can't, somehow you find yourself doing it and you're in the middle of it. And then before you know it, you've crossed the bridge. Another strategy is to rewire your own thinking. Now, rewiring your own thinking is important because you can literally change neurological pathways in your brain if you just practice and practice and practice. Now I'm going to teach you four mental strategies that I learned from someone called Angela Watson. She wrote a book called Awakened and she is a teacher coach. She coaches teachers, but she's got these four mental strategies to change the way you think that I think apply to anybody in anything. So they are dismiss, distract, reject, and replace. And let me just explain each one. Dismiss. So when a thought comes into your mind that is not a good thought, consciously tell yourself, this thought is not significant. Just let it go. Distract. Find something engaging to do that is very different from the thing that's sparking the negative feeling or thought. Like when I said stay busy. Distract your mind. Reject. Tell yourself that that is not a thought that will dwell in your mind because it's not productive and it is not helpful. Now, I work with special education children and I do specialize in a lot of behavior changes. And I'm going to tell you something about changing a behavior or changing a thought process because your thought process will eventually become your behavior. You can't just take away something and leave a void. You have to replace the behavior. So say you want to stop snacking on cake, you're going to start chewing on gum. You've replaced the behavior. You took one thing out and you put another thing in. So replacing the way you think is important. You can change the way you think 
by changing a negative thought with something positive. Like today, for example, I've said, this whole process is ongoing. It doesn't end. Today, I was at the pool, at the community pool with my daughter, Katie, and she took a pool noodle from some children. Now, remember, Katie is 14 years old, so she's a teenager, and she's a tall teenager. She's a big girl. She took it from some small children who were old enough to have a little bit of awkward dialogue amongst themselves. So I could see them pointing at Katie and talking amongst themselves and being really, really annoyed that she was using their pool noodle in the pool. But they didn't want to approach her and tell her something about it. And so I could tell that this dialogue was going on. And like it does, it hurts. Going to public places is always so awkward and isolating. And then Katie will do things like this and just make it hard to explain her situation especially like when it's like a eight-year-old child it's like how do you tell this kid hey I'm sorry my daughter has cognitive delays she doesn't really act her age or understand social norms you know there's always that situation and I could say you know here take the pool noodle back and and just talk to the kids and be like she didn't mean to hurt your feelings or something I could have done that but instead I'm going to rewire the way I think. I'm not going to think, oh, everywhere we go, we're ousted. Everywhere we go, we don't fit in. Everywhere we go, we don't belong. You know what? Everywhere we go is an opportunity. And you know what? Katie can learn to socialize with other people, and I'm never going to stop teaching her, no matter how long it takes. And people can learn to socialize with her. So I took Katie, I grabbed the pool noodle, and I explained to her, like I have many times before, this belongs to those people. Let's go give it back and tell them, thank you for letting me play. And so I walked Katie back to the kids. I said, I'm sorry, was this yours? And they said, yes. I said, Katie has something to say. So Katie shoved it in their hands, kind of strangely, and she said, thanks. And it just kind of provided an opportunity to raise awareness in both parties. So now the children understand Katie's not being a jerk, and Katie knows okay, the social expectation is not to take something away from people. So that is one way that I rewire my thinking. I am not going to stop going to public places because it makes it awkward or because we feel rejected or ousted or different. I'm going to continue because these situations are the perfect platform to make change in both parties and the people who are receiving Katie as a social citizen, and in Katie, who is trying to participate in the regular world situation. I want to decide to find beauty in the moment that I am in, because as long as there is life, there is always hope. You know, you got to grab onto that and never, ever let it go. Now, I want to go on to the next strategy. So we talked about, we talked about several things. We talked about staying busy. We talked about working with what you have. We talked about rewiring your own thinking by dismissing, distracting, rejecting, and replacing. Now I want to tell you another strategy. It is about cutting yourself some slack. We can be so hard on ourselves. We want to be perfect because, you know, there is so much at stake. There is so much on us. Getting our child to succeed in life is not easy. It is all on our backs. But we've got to cut ourselves some slack. 
You know, it's okay not to be enough. It's okay to have a bad day, a bad week. Hey, it's okay to have a bad season. It's part of the problem. And that's just it. Life comes in seasons. You'll find yourself soaring sometimes and you will find yourself at rock bottom and digging at other times. Just be aware that these are seasonal times and life is not always going to stay the same. Things will go up and down and that is the way life is for everybody, whether it be regular need parenting or special need parenting. It comes in seasons. Stay connected. Find people. Hey, we live in modern day age where we can actually find groups of people like us. Hey, you found me. And there is a lot of people who want to get connected with you. Another thing I like to do is I like to write things out. Anything. Like even the ugly. If you open my journal, some pages are going to have words and other pages are going to have just nasty scribbles that I did in anger where you even see punctures on the paper. I have drawings. I have anything. I mean, anything that comes to my mind, clippings, you name it. I've got everything in my journal. Writing it out just makes me feel better. You should make also a list of all your accomplishments. If you really stop and think about everything you have accomplished, you would be surprised. I really challenge you to do that today. In fact, if you have a moment after you listen to this podcast, sit down, grab a napkin and a lipstick if that's all you got, and write down the things that you have accomplished, the things that you know you are proud of. Once you get writing, you're going to be surprised at how much you've actually done. I want you to have a big picture mentality. Like, if you were the main character in your movie, in the movie of your life, how would your character react to the situation? And what would your character do next? Big picture mentality. Another mentality that is super important is the yet mentality. So don't say things like, my child doesn't walk. Say things like, my child doesn't walk yet. Or my child doesn't have friends. Change it. Say my child doesn't have friends yet. We are all in a growing stage and we are not there. None of us are. So please change the way you see things from finite to not yet, but we're trying. You know, growing hurts. I'm reminded of the process that a butterfly goes through. I don't know if it hurts them, but I do know that once they're in their cocoon, they turn into jelly. Like the entire insect becomes liquid. And if you were to cut that cocoon, you would find nothing but goop. And somehow they turn that into a beautiful butterfly that breaks out of a cocoon and flies and does things that are entirely different than it used to do at its previous stage as a caterpillar. And that is just so symbolic to me because if an insect can do something that amazing, man, what are the things that you and I can do? And the last thing I want to recommend to you is that you do something that is really hard for all of us to do is get some rest, eat, sleep, play, have a hobby. It's hard to get around to doing these things, but I think one of the biggest deterrents is the sense of guilt of what are you putting off to take care of yourself. And for some reason, as special needs parents, we end up feeling not as important as our child but you are super important. Now, this analogy is used a lot, but it just seems appropriate and fitting. When you go on an airplane, 
they tell you, first you grab the oxygen and breathe and then help your child. Why? Because if you don't have enough oxygen, if you don't have what you need, you will not be able to save your child. And the same applies for this situation. And there are some basic things that you need to provide your body and your mind. And that is rest, eating, and sleeping, and playing. You've got to enjoy your life. Find a way. Every day is special. Every day is new. And every day is a gift. We are on a journey. And guess what? We are writing a beautiful story. So chin up. We can do this together. Thanks for listening. Join me again next time where we will discuss the subject of fear and find ways to overcome it. This is The Journey.